morning, turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter number 6. I'm doing something a little different this morning. I'm labeling the message a state of the church address. I'm going to share with you some things this morning about what God has been doing in my life. It's not just me sharing my heart. I don't believe in just sharing my heart. I believe in sharing the word. But I will, through the word, share with you some things that God has been doing in my life and um, in a positive way. And things over the last couple weeks, many of you know that my wife and I took a couple weeks off and really <clears throat> because we were just about at uh, a time where we really needed a break for a lot of reasons. And I'm going to share with you the way that God has shaped my mind and my heart through and how that's going to affect the church in a positive way. And so let's look together at God's word, if you will, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, <coughs> and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Amen. This is God's word. In 1972, nearly 50 years ago, something happened that has never happened since and may not ever happen again. There was for the first and only time in the history of the National Football League a perfect team. They went 14-0 during the regular season, 3-0 in the playoffs, culminating in a Super Bowl victory. No other team has made it. There have been those that were close, there have been those that were good, but it's unarguable that the 1972 Miami Dolphins were, in fact, the greatest football team ever. If you are to argue with that statement, somebody said this, perfection has a way of shutting people's mouths. The opposing coach in the 1972 Super Bowl was asked to comment on the stellar Miami defense to start. And he said, I really just can't recall any of their names because they were such a great team. In fact, after that statement, their defense was called the no-name defense. The 1972 Miami Dolphins were not made up of a bunch of superstars that you could point to and name who they all were and what they all did. But the key to the success of the 1972 <coughs> Miami Dolphins is that that team worked best when every person knew their position and played their position for the success of the team. Every church would do good to learn a lesson from the 1972 Miami Dolphins. Every church is most successful when everybody knows their place and everybody fulfills their own position 
for the glory of God and the success of the team. In Acts chapter number 6, you're going to see this come in full, uh, uh, full storm on the church in Jerusalem. Now this church was a massively popular church that grew in number in an extraordinary way. And really, it wasn't long that you start reading about the first church in the Bible before you start reading about the first problems in the church in the Bible. Now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not speaking this morning of a number of problems in our church. That's not what this is about. But problems and difficulties have a way of stretching us and showing us certain things that we need to do in a church or in our personal lives. You ever been there? You ever been in a time in your life where you were stretched out, you had something wrong, something wasn't going well, and you had to stop and reassess what was happening and make certain adjustments in order for the success of your family, your job, your career, or in this case, <coughs> a church? And so what I want to do is I want to show you the problem that this church encountered and how they dealt with the problem that they encountered and what the results of dealing with the problem, in fact, were. So number one, I want you to see the church stretched. The church stretched. In verse number one, the church had two significant problems that arose within it as the church stretched. Number one, it was a growing congregation. It says here, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying. This was a growing congregation. In fact, if you were to go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, you would see the significance of the growth of this church. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I mean, right from the very beginning of this church at Pentecost. <laughs> the Bible tells us that 3,000 people were swept into church membership in one day. Now that would have been an exciting day to be sure. But more than just exciting, it would have been a day that created a number of stressful things of administration and organization and leadership that needed to take place. Then you read six verses later in Acts chapter 2 verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Skip over just one chapter to chapter 4 verse 4 and the Bible says that the number of the men that believed in Acts 4 were about 5,000. So you got 3,000 in Acts chapter 2. You got people being saved and added to the church every day between Acts chapter 2 verse 47 and Acts chapter 4 verse 4. And then in Acts chapter 4 verse 4 you have another sweeping sermon where another 5,000 people, men it says, were added to the Lord. So by this time the church has at least 10,000 members, no doubt. And if you take uh, chapter number 4 literally that it was only counting men there, it is very likely that many women and children were swept into the kingdom also. Acts chapter 5 verse 14 says that this pattern just continues. Believers were the more added to the Lord. Church growth is exciting, but church growth is also challenging. Every time a church is growing, it should expect to come across points where adjustments need to be made and problems have to be encountered and things have to grow in order to accommodate what has stretched. The only church that does not have any challenges is a dead church. And that church has its own unique set of problems. This church was growing at an incredible rate. And without the church pulling together to meet the growing needs of the church, the church would have never grown beyond where it was. That's exactly where I find River City Baptist Church this morning. 
When I came in 2016 to what was called at that time Harvest Baptist Church, there were 69 members of the church when I came. I so brilliantly grew the church from July of 2016 from 69 to 55 in about three months. It was an amazing sight. My church growth tactics and skills were off the charts and unbelievable. By the time 2017 closed, we actually had 74 members, so we added 19 in 2017. But between 2017 and 2018, our membership grew from 74 to 140. It doubled between those two years. From 2018 to 2019, the church added 60 new members. We had a 200 members at the end of 2019. That's after 75 people chose to leave our church during that same year. In 2020, just last year, at the end of the year, we had 240 members with an average Sunday morning attendance of 175. So literally from 2016 to 2021, the church grew from 55 members to 240 members. That's a lot of growth. The average church grows at about a 10% rate. Actually, the average church doesn't grow at all. The average church either is plateaued or dying. In fact, 80% of churches in the United States of America today would say they are either plateaued or dying. We've had a large number of people saved and a large number of people baptized and a large number of people discipled in our church over these years. It's been exciting. We've grown, somebody better help me up here. We've grown from 55 people to 240 people. We came from an 1,800, excuse me, 18,000 square foot property on Lone Star Road to a 50,000 square foot property now on Merrill Road. We went from a ghetto dodging bullets to a major four-lane highway in the middle of the most populated area of the city of Jacksonville. We went from a half acre to six acres. We went from a property worth $700,000 to a property worth over $7 million. We have gone from 42 parking spaces to 162 parking spaces. We've gone from virtually no children to a thriving children's ministry and one teenager to dozens of them. What I'm simply saying to you today is we can look at our own church and it would not be that difficult for anybody to make a plain assessment that this church has experienced growth. And when growth is experienced, sometimes, secondly, grumbling is experienced. You see at the end of verse number one that when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because of their widows were neglected in daily distribution. Now, very simply put, there was an argument that broke out among two different factions in the church. And this was all based on ethnicity. Uh, widows were being cared for in the church as widows are cared for in the church today. But the problem was this one group of widows who were Hellenists, and a Hellenist widow simply meant they were part Jew and part Greek. The other widows in the church were fully Jewish, okay, and as they looked at how the distribution of finances and resources were taking place, one group felt like they were more neglected than the other group. Now here's what we don't know. We don't know if that was true or not. We don't know if that was a real problem or a perceived problem. By the way, about the time you think there's a problem somewhere, sometimes problems are more perceived than they are in reality. But let's just assume for a minute that it actually was a real problem. Let's say that one group of people was being forgotten about and the other group of people was not being forgotten about. It was a problem. This problem that was brought up in the church got all the way up to the leadership of the church. John Piper said it like this, A true movement of God in a fallen world will sweep some debris into the church. When the kingdom of God sweeps through a region... 
It is like a net thrown into a sea that gathers fish of every kind that God sorts out later. The point is, when a church is growing, when things are happening, things sometimes happen at a pace that is almost impossible to keep up with. And, and what happened here was there was a problem that had arose, and the problem needed to be dealt with. By the way, let me help you understand what you should do when you have a problem inside of a church. First of all, you should never expect a church or a leader to be perfect. Folks, listen, if you are looking for a perfect church, you are on the wrong hunt. There is no such thing as a perfect church. Every church has weaknesses. Every church has holes. Every church has things that are not going well, that they wish were going well. And probably the five things in the church that you think are not going well, I probably think aren't going well either. The truth of the matter is, no church is perfect. There will never be one. There will never be a perfect pastor. I wish I was. I wish I had infinite resources. I wish I had infinite time. I wish I had infinite wisdom. I wish I had infinite knowledge. I wish I had infinite care, infinite love, infinite money, but I don't. And neither do you. And so when a church, when a, when a, when a person thinks that their church is supposed to be perfect or the church is always going to meet everybody's needs, there's going to be a problem. Secondly, you should not be self-focused. A church focused on itself will find itself difficult to reach people outside of the walls of the church. Folks, listen, I'm not going to spend my time debating or discussing or arguing with people within the church about what should or should not happen. There are people dying and going to hell every single day. And quite honestly, I don't have time to fool around with people that are petty and self-centered about things that simply do not matter. Remember this, also, Satan is a great divider and Satan is the accuser of the brethren. There was a natural division in this church that already existed, a Jewish population and a Hellenist population. The devil will find a way to exploit naturally existing divisions and make them worse, not better. By the way, let me say this. God, come on, God will take our divisions and make them small rather than big. Satan will take our divisions and make them big, come on, big rather than small. Number four, don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. There were legitimate needs in the church. Needs had to be met. The administration of the congregation, the feeding of the widows, the preaching of the word, the different groups within the church all needed to be addressed. But watch it very carefully. Somebody or something that does not adjust when it is stretched will snap. So let me help you understand my part in this whole thing. I came here when there were 55 people. And when I came here, with rare exception, it was me and Angie and Aaron came along a few weeks later and there were a handful of people that were involved, but at the end of the day, when you have 55 people in a rundown building and a rundown part of town and not many people ever being saved or baptized and not much going on, the place just was old and musty and not very attractive to people around. So we rolled up our sleeves and started working. And it's interesting, from day one, for me, in 2016 to today, in 2021, everything about me and my wife's life has changed. But nothing about our lives have changed. And that's a problem. In other words, almost every square inch of this building and the old building was painted by my wife. Almost every square inch of tile on the floors in the lobby 
and in the old building was laid by my wife. Notice I didn't say me. Everybody keeps me away from that stuff, okay? I start cutting fingers off and stuff, so I, I can't. I mean that. I've got a scar to prove it, okay? And so, <clears throat> and, and everything in between. Me and Angie, we've done children's ministry. We've done youth ministry. We've done every kind of ministry you can imagine, music ministry and everything in between. There's not been a class or anything that has been taught or anything that has been done over these years that has ever changed. And yet, with all those things that I just shared with you, when nothing about us has changed, two things have happened. One, we've stretched ourselves beyond our ability to stretch. And number two, we've done you a disservice because we have taken on the responsibility of things that we have no business taking the responsibility in. The pastor's not a CEO, the pastor's not the janitor. The pastor's not supposed to teach every class, make every decision, answer for everything, and write every check, and know everything, and be a part of every group, and be at every Sunday school class, and be at every birthday party, and all that. But that's what we've tried to do, and unfortunately, we have come to a place where we finally realized that our church has stretched. You don't have to look around you very long to know our church has stretched. Multiple ministries in multiple places with multiple people and multiple functions going on. And because I and my wife have not been willing or able or even cognizant of the fact that we were supposed to do something differently, we lived with attention much like the church did in the book of Acts. And so the church stretched, number one. Number two, there was a proposal, okay? There was a solution proposed. The solution proposed or the solution presented was twofold. Listen very carefully. What should we be thinking in this scenario? What should we be thinking as a church that has significantly grown? A church that has multiple ministries, multiple people, multiple staff members, multiple acres of property. All the, how, how should a church adjust? How should a preacher adjust? How should you adjust to a situation like that? There's two things this text tells us. It tells us, number one, that shepherds are to stay focused on their God-appointed tasks. Verses 3 and 4 reveal this to us when it says this, or verse 12, then the 12 summoned, or verse 2, excuse me, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, watch this now, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Church, I want to tell you that this text reveals for me fundamentally that shepherds, pastors, teachers, are to stay focused on their God-appointed tasks. Now, I know that everybody in this room <coughs> probably has a different opinion or view of what a pastor is and what a pastor should be. So let me clear the air and correct anybody's bad thinking here this morning. Let me explain to you exactly what a pastor is supposed to be. He is supposed to be a man who shepherds the church fundamentally by preaching the Bible and praying for the church, fundamentally. That's the fundamental job of a pastor. Let me repeat it again, some of y'all aren't catching it yet, okay? The fundamental job of a pastor is to preach the Bible and pray for the church. That's it. That's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. I think I could argue in addition to that, there's one additional thing that a pastor is supposed to do, and that is to train its future leaders. Now, I got to tell you, what this text reveals that should be obvious to everybody is this. When a pastor focuses on CEO responsibilities, 
when a pastor folks, uh, focuses on extra responsibilities, when he focuses on how's this class going, what's the structure going, what are the schedules going to be like, and uh, uh, what's the grounds going to look like, and who's volunteering for this, and who's building this, and who's doing all that, guess what? He by necessity leaves the word of God in prayer in order to serve tables. Now it's not, please don't misunderstand me, it's not that a pastor is above serving tables, it's that the pastor has another job that he's supposed to do. And so a pastor is supposed to stay focused on the ministry of the word and in prayer. Every single Christian, including this one that you're looking at right now, all have a job to do and we all need to do our jobs. And so I'm sorry. That I have taken on more than what I am supposed to do. I promise you that every moment of every day of my life from this point forward will be about these three things. I will preach the Bible. I will pray for the church. And I will train its leaders. Last week, just last week alone as I came off my break and, and, I, and I began to, to try to put it into play. I stopped going to staff meetings. Because I don't have to be there. Because I don't need to know what the budget is and what this is happening. That's his job. And I don't need to do this and that and this. I am praying for the church, preparing its sermons, training its leaders. And that's what I'm doing. Last week I spent eight hours with individuals in this church training the future leaders of this church. Not only to send them out, but also to build them from within. It's my job. It's my calling. And I also want to tell you that my wife and I have not only been through the challenge of this church, but think about just for a second our lives for a minute. I mean, we, we left California in 2016 just prior to us leaving California. We were already going through so many difficulties. Brent was born in 2000 and uh, whatever year that was, 2012, I think it was, 2012. And Brent, Brent, Brent looked at me this morning, I was kind of talking through a little bit with him, he said, he said, that's been nine years. I said, yeah, nine years of trouble, all chased back to, traced back to you, pal. No, I'm just kidding, that's not true, but, but man, there, was, there were physical challenges with that. In 2013, my wife's dad died. In 2014 and 15, we, we wrestled for two years about what we were going to do. I was in a very comfortable job. I was in a Christian college of over a thousand students in California. I was set to be the leader of that college. It's what I was doing. It was the path, the trajectory. It was very comfortable. I was very well compensated. I had no problems and everybody liked me. And then God uprooted our family from that to come to a place we'd never seen, never been. I preached one time here. Didn't have any family, no friends, nobody. And we came here to move here to a church that was smaller than my daughter's Sunday school class. And then every waking moment of every day, my wife was with me working at the church. My kids had little pillows and blankets that they would fall asleep in in the offices of the church because Angie was painting rooms and doing this. And I was trying to hold a church together and figure out what was going on. I still have these visuals of... Brent sleeping on the, in the lobby carpet of the old office area and Adriana going to a school that was so incredibly and radically different than the school that she had come from. And then you go through all that transformation, now not just one kid but two kids. And then you come through and 
and, and have all this excitement and energy of moving from an old campus to a new campus and all that that meant in 2018. From July of 2018 to November of 2018, it was the biggest renovation project I've ever been involved with. All these ceilings, all these lights, all these chairs, all the floor, everything in this whole building was cleaned and decluttered. The bathrooms were tore out and those beautiful bathrooms were put in. The lobby was completely renovated and redecorated. And, and then from there, it's been like this nonstop, ongoing uh, <coughs> project. That was 2018 in the fall. 2019 in the spring, about 75 people that walked over the Red Sea with us to come to this beautiful property walked out on us all in one week. It was heartbreaking. I still remember the day. I remember everything about the day. I remember every conversation today. I remember falling apart that day. And I remember going through that summer not only watching people go, but watching giving go. In the fall of 2019, a whole sweeping reduction of personnel and finances and our own salaries. I remember Angie looking at me at one time saying, if you, need to, if you need to sell coffee at Starbucks to stay here, we'll just do it because God's called you to stay here. And I needed that. And I did that. And lo and behold, in the middle of the greatest crisis of our lives, God decides to drop two babies on us. September of 2019. Lake and Ashley. It was supposed to be a temporary eight-week babysitting arrangement. It turned into a lifetime, for which we're glad. And now, and by the way, it's interesting too, most people don't know this, at that same time, my wife was working, homeschooling another family's children in the church. So when we got the two babies, she was homeschooling three other kids and babysitting a fourth. And Adriana was homeschooling at that time. And Brent was homeschooling at that time. It was like a freaking zoo at our house. Chaos. And then we pushed forward into 2020. And lo and behold, what happened in 2020? COVID hit. But so did Braxton. <laughs> and about the time we closed the adoption of our two younger children in 2020, Braxton was two months away from being born in 2020. And so in 2020, in the summer, my wife went and was with the lady who gave birth to Braxton in the hospital when he was delivered. We brought him home from the hospital and just closed his adoption like two weeks ago. So our family has grown from two kids to five kids. And this whole time, listen to me very carefully, my wife has not one time not given more than 30 hours a week to this church ever. And for 90% of it, unpaid. And so when we came to this place a couple weeks ago, realizing, man, we're about to fall apart. One of the decisions that I made was that I can't do this to her anymore. She wants to, but I can't let her. And so I decided to pull Angie away from all ministry responsibilities at the church because we've stretched but we haven't adjusted you following me so you don't need to ask her any questions about what's going on because she doesn't know she doesn't know who's doing what she doesn't know who's singing she doesn't know what the arrangement is she doesn't know that she's just 
my wife and the mother of my kids, which is what she wants to be in the first place. Now, I will tell you, <coughs> because I've lived this, that leaves a massive hole that you could not possibly understand. And so, when people start focusing on what they are supposed to focus on, everybody else has to focus what they're supposed to focus on. And so what happens in the text? Well, first of all, the solution is that pastors are supposed to stay focused on what they're supposed to focus on. Secondly, that God inserts into the church a group of people that we know of as deacons who are supposed to take care of certain business-related responsibilities in the church so that pastors can stay focused on the teaching of the Bible, prayer, and the training of its leaders. In addition to that, every single Christian in the world has a calling, has a gifting, has an enabling in which they should be serving the Lord in their church. So I want to take a few minutes and explain to you how and who the deacons of our church are. I, just want, I want you to see them. Many of you don't even know who they are and you don't know how they function. I want to say this before I even bring them up here. Our deacons are not a board of directors. There's one board of directors of River City Baptist Church, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody help me up here. He's the board of directors, okay? You say, well, who's in charge of this and who's in charge of that? There's one person in charge of this church, and it's Jesus Christ. And as long as we stay true to the word, which is his directives of the church, that's who always will stay in charge of the church. What do pastors do? I just told you. They preach the Bible, they pray for the church, and they build up the leadership of the church. So then... The deacons are to oversee business-related matters of the church so that pastors can stay focused on their responsibility. So I want our deacons to come up. Everybody real quick. Our deacons, we've got four of them right now. We might need more, but right now we've got four. I want the men to come up here for just a moment. And I want you to see in the text, it says that these men were chosen out of their, their fellow believers. They, they were essentially nominated. Now, we nominate deacons only when we need deacons, Okay. And, and, and so the last time we did this was about a year ago, and if I ever feel like there's a deacon that needs to take a break for one reason or the other, or our church has grown to a stage where I feel like we need to add another deacon, then we will have a, a meeting where I say, hey, you guys send me a nomination, tell me who you think in our church is faithful and servant-minded and loyal to Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, and among those people... The text says the church submitted names of people to the elders, the pastors, and then the pastors chose from among them who would ultimately serve as deacons, okay? And that's what we do here. So we don't vote on deacons. Nobody votes on deacons. We don't vote on anything here, Harley. The only thing we vote on is December 5th. We vote on a budget, and I'm still not even sure why we do that because I'm not sure why we do that. But anyways, I, I guess we just do that. So maybe we'll stop doing that. Anyways, <coughs> so we don't, we don't, we, you don't vote on stuff. You don't find anywhere in the Bible where the church just votes on everything. What color are the carpet supposed to be? How much money are we going to spend on this? We don't, you don't vote on that kind of stuff. This, a church is ran by Christ, shepherded by pastors, served by deacons. That's what a church is. So this is Wade. This is Wade Hughes. He's been a member of our church for a number of years. He got baptized. Him and his family got baptized here maybe four years ago or so. His uh, daughter Bella's back here. She's getting ready to get married to Dimitri and... We married one of his other sons here uh, in the church, and uh, his wife, um, Chantel, good night, sorry, uh, Chantel serves in a number of capacities here, but Wade serves as a deacon. Now, each deacon has an area of responsibility, and this is all new, okay? 
And those areas of responsibilities are forming committees. Those committees are going to care for these, these things that I'm going to describe to you so that we can all do our jobs. Wade is the elder or pastor, excuse me, deacon responsible for elderly care, widows, folks in the church. And uh, this includes watching over our widows and making sure they have the things that they need. Any of you that are on the outreach team will partner with them to visit widows and care for them and make sure things are taken care of. I will get a monthly report from Wade about how our widows are doing and anything that they need that we can pray for or care for. But it's his responsibility, and they do it so well, to care for the widows of the church. So I don't have to move. Why don't you go down to the end of the row now? Okay, this is, this is Kyle. Uh, Kyle uh, Pickering, his wife Brittany is right over here, sitting by Angie. And Kyle is our newest deacon at our church and uh, uh, an engineer here in town, a great guy, just graduated college recently, and uh, uh, a younger man. Uh, what are you, 24? 24 years old, and, and uh, it's frightening. I could be Kyle's dad. Uh, but that, that um, <laughs> strange, that's a strange thought. Um, <laughs> but Kyle's a, a, fine, a fine young man. He's been faithful to our church, serves on our worship team. You guys see him here serve, and serves in our youth ministry as well. And Kyle uh, is the chairman of the church finance committee. Uh, the budgeting process, the... Um, the reports, the monthly reports of how things are being spent, how they're going. He will also have with him, of course, uh, Aaron will be a, a pastor leader helping him as well as a few laymen that I will invite to be a part of this so that they write the checks, they deposit money, they count money, they run the budget, they do that because that is something that could be very time consuming and I appreciate Kyle doing this. This is uh, Dave Andrews, many of you that have been around a while, you call him Deacon Dave. It's his nickname. He's been a deacon since Moses was here. And uh, uh, I love Dave. Dave. Dave's been here for a number of years, back in the 70s, is that right? 1975, he got saved. Uh, his wife invited him to church before they were uh, married. Is that right? Something like that? Or your cousin invited you, but Darlene came after you. Yeah, that was a good thing for you to meet her. Yeah. Well, anyway, Dave got saved back in the 70s. Been a member of Harvest Baptist then, River City Baptist Church now, since that time. He's one of the 12 people that are still a part of the church that were here uh, when I came. It's an amazing thing. He's been a deacon all along the way. David will be the, uh, the uh, chairman of the Buildings and Grounds Committee. All things related to repairs, upkeep, maintenance, uh, the building project we're getting ready to do. David will supervise it, uh, the, the grounds, the mowing of the lawn, all those things. Uh, he also has a committee of some people that have already formed. Oren helps serve in uh, cutting the grass. <clears throat> and there's many other people who can. I'm mentioning all these things because you can volunteer and be a part of this if you want to be. Um, but uh, Dave has done so much here. We're so thankful for him. And this is Randy, Randy Russman. Uh, Randy has uh, been a deacon for about a year, uh, maybe a year and a half. And Randy moved here from Hawaii, of all places, and uh, quickly got involved with our church. And has just been faithful. His wife is Donna, back there in the back. And... So Randy's job as a deacon is going to be dealing with two things. Benevolence, number one, when somebody has a, is falling on hard times, has a need. I don't need somebody coming to me and say, can I have $100? The answer is going to be, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't write checks. I don't know. I don't even know if we can. I don't know any of that. you got to go to Randy. Randy's the guy to talk to. And he also will be responsible for the missions of the church. That is, the missionaries that we support, the missionaries that we work with, making sure that we get letters and correspondence for them, knowing how that we can pray for them, and et cetera. And so those are the four primary areas that these men are serving on. You might get asked in the next couple weeks to be a part of one of these committees to make sure that these things can go off without problem. 
and, and you guys can be seated. And besides, besides, <coughs> besides the obvious thing that there are deacons that have committees that, lead, that are led and taken care of so that, so that pastors can stay focused on their mission, then there's you. Then there's you. Every member a minister. Every member a minister. If you're looking for a place that is comfortable for you, you're in the wrong place. If you're looking for somebody that's not going to ask something of you, you're in the wrong place. If you're looking for some place to be a consumer rather than a you're in the wrong place. Every one of you has been gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all of you, every single person, every person, not without exception, the children, the teenagers, the adults, new people, old people, young people, men, women, every single person has been placed by the Holy Spirit sovereignly into the body to fulfill a God-given mission that you have been given by Him, not me. And everybody should have a place where they serve. Everybody should have a place where they work. Everybody should have a time where they give and they do and they, they accomplish something. Everybody should be a witness. Everybody should be a disciple maker. <laughs> Everybody should give. Everybody should volunteer. Everybody, not some. Why? Because this is how we all stay in our lanes. And our church is awesome at this, to be honest with you. We're going to reveal to you in December, uh, on a celebration Sunday, December 5th, how many of our people volunteer every week. It's amazing. We have a very high number of volunteers. We have one of the highest number of proportionate membership that are in attendance of our church. When we went to banks and we're dealing with our mortgage, they were shocked that we only have this many members, but we have this many in attendance. Some churches say they have 10,000 members, but only 3,000 come to church. That's not the case here. Thank God for that. Amen. People come, people serve, but I'm not asking, are, is this a serving church? Is this a faithful church? Is this a giving church? All those things are true. Our per capita giving is off the charts. But I'm not asking, is this a giving church? Is this a serving church? Is this a working church? Is this a, is this a, a volunteer church? The answer is yes. I'm asking, are you? Are you? That's the solution presented. Then there is... Uh, the finally, you see in verse number 7, then the word of God spread <clears throat> and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So you got the solution presented and then you got, then you got the results recognized. The results recognized. What happened? What happened after the church did what the church was supposed to do? Well, verse 7 tells us. The number of disciples grew, the word of God spread, and a great number of, the, of priests were obedient to the faith. What happened? God's word continued to spread. God's work continued to grow. And people were saved. I don't know about you, that's all I want in my life. I want the word of God to go forward. I want discipleship to multiply. And I want people to be saved. That's it. By the way, you may be here today and say, wait a second, this is weird. Are you telling me that a priest needed to get saved? Yes, which ought to tell you that no religion, no church, no pope, no priest, no pastor can save you. If you were a priest in the Bible, you were a religious person. You did religious stuff. You offered sacrifices. You were pretty good. 
but even a priest needed to be saved. <coughs> you know what the Bible tells me? The Bible tells me in John 4, there was a woman at the well who had burned through five marriages and was living with somebody she wasn't married to, and she was, uh, according to the Samaritans and everybody else around her, she was the lowest of the low, and Christ came to her and saved her. You know what that tells me? Nobody's too bad that God can't save them. And then you see in John 3, you see a, a religious leader, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And like these priests, they were religious. They went to church. They did good stuff. They knew the Bible. They had it all down. And, and he needed to be saved. You know what that tells me? Nobody's too good that they don't need to be saved. Everybody needs Jesus. So do you know for sure right here, right now, that if you died that you'd be going to heaven? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one that came, the one that died, the one that shed his blood, the one that rose again from the dead, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The one that says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name given under heaven among men, whereby you must be saved. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not the Pope. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. There is no other name. For by grace you save through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or we're not saved at all. So I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, please let us help you with that today. Shall we bow for prayer? <coughs>